Hi there, this is Jim the Keys Bartender coming to you from a little slightly cloudy uh, Key Largo. It is Labor Day, but I won't call this episode Labor Day. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Keys Bartender Podcast, it's a podcast about bartending and life and Keys life. Life and Keys life. I guess that would be life and things that are unique to the Keys. So... As you know, at the end of the cycle, which is the weekend holiday cycle, we are beginning, it is a little after, I think it's almost 12 o'clock, check-ins, people's hotel rooms or, you know, check-out times coming about. And for people down here who are visiting from other parts of South Florida, they'll be checking out in the roads because we have a single road going north. The northbound lanes will be getting busy between now and, let's say, 6 o'clock, which it's kind of weird because I guess people further south may start out a little earlier and the people further north are heading out a little later, but they sync up and all the traffic meets going out. All this, uh, it's like a, a stream where the beginning of the stream is a small rill of of uh, water flow and there's more streams of traffic joining as you go further up the keys and it just becomes a torrent when it's leaving so all these people are leaving the keys at the same time so i always thought it should be counterintuitive if you're in the upper keys you should start out earlier and in lower keys start out later if you live down here and it doesn't really matter like you know if you want an easy ride driving back you may want to start at around six o'clock on a, on the end of a holiday weekend six o'clock p.m so when you get yourself up to the upper keys it's already 8 30 you know eight o'clock and this way you're not you're not running into all that traffic. So, but it just seems that pay, people leave later up here, earlier down south, and they all meet up in the middle. And that would be Almorada, where, um, you know, it's slowed down to 35, 40 miles an hour. It gets even slower. So the people end up getting stuff from traffic and being about three and a half hours instead of a two hour journey. And who wants to spend all that time? And you're spending time in the traffic in areas where you really don't get to see much. You just see roadside attractions. Further south, over, you know, where the highways are, uh, you have the seven-mile bridge and a couple-mile bridges going in between heading north. You get some more views. But where it really slows down is in the village of Almorada, which is a beautiful town. It's a beautiful town, but not a lot to see from the road. So I always say you got to strategize when you're down in Keys. You know, and it doesn't mean anything. And I guess all that traffic doesn't mean anybody, the people that arrive by boat. I'm not talking about Cuban people arriving by boat, you know, or makeshift boat. I'm talking about people who come from like Homestead or someplace else and they just boat down here. Then you got the people with, you know, that. You put their boat in the water down here, and that's even another type of 
level of aggravation because you go to public boat ramps and they're all jammed up and it takes you a while to get them out and you're on the water all day and you're a little tired and the, the last thing you want to do is wait with your truck at a ramp at a boat ramp and watch uh, a bunch of knuckleheads who don't do this too often every so often you will run into it because it's such a volume of people you're going to run into people that are inexperienced and you see some really interesting uh you know, boat ramping, boat ramp experiences, which you can see and have enjoy a cocktail at the Caribbean Club in Key Largo and any of the numerous uh, public boat ramps down here. What I wanted to talk about, I had my day at work. I don't know if, did I have, I did an episode yesterday, I didn't talk about it, but it's a holiday weekend. It was decent. Labor Day is one of those outdoor holidays, a lot of barbecuing and things like that. So it's not necessarily a busy restaurant night. There are people, it seems to be Labor Day in South Florida, when you get groups of people to come down. A lot of people know each other. They come, you know, they have their vacation homes. They travel down here as a group. So you, we may get groups of like 15, 16, 20 people going out, you know, whole multiple families going out at the same time. And that adds that adds to our volume because we're a family restaurant and we can get we can normally seat those people because we have it seems to be that we have more capacity than we have our sides of our kitchen. We can't really seat our whole restaurant at one time and be able to feed them at one time because just we're, we're just not our kitchen's just not that big, but we do have the extra room to be able to accommodate that and for special events. And things like that where we're going all out when we have like a buffet in one room, which you have all your food cooked. And then you could cook a la carte for the rest of the people. So that's how holidays work out for us. We get hit with big parties, not necessarily lots of individuals coming in. So we'll have a somewhat crowded. The bar gets loaded with the locals. They want to come in a small group. So we'll hang out in the bar in the bar area. And we have live music. But then we have our main dining room, second dining room, and outside to handle big parties. But, you know, the weird thing about these things, you're always looking for patterns. I always think people fall on their slightly, everyone has, this is going to be a bold statement, everyone has a certain level of obsessive compulsive disorder. Right, you know, you have the people that are extremely uh, OCD, and we know how they behave. But it's all on the sliding scale. And people, the thing about obsessive compulsivity, you're always looking for patterns. You're always looking for patterns. You always see the people have. They call it. Uh, they have these rituals. People ritualize things. It could be like praying before, which is you know, it's it, praying is a ritual. Blessing yourself is a ritual. They're all religious things, but there's things with people when they smoke. Uh, there's not a lot of smokers left, but there used to be a lot of people that used to flip that one cigarette in the pack and put, you know, switch um, instead of having, uh, I think, uh, unfiltered side, the filter side down, they flip the filter side up. Or it could be the other way around. 
either the filter side's poking out and they flip the cigarette so it becomes tobacco side up. But that's a ritual. That's an OCD thing. And there's people that turn the key twice when they go in the house or, you know, the way they jiggle the doorknob one, two, three times. They always have, people have patterns. They look for patterns. And I'm no different. And I notice it from day to day. I'll see when I'm bartending, I say, man, I'm making a lot of frozen drinks. I'm making a lot of peanut butter martinis. I'm making a lot of martinis, special martinis. And it just seems odd that for one night, I'll be making tons of that. And then on another night, it'd be a lot of wine and cocktails. On some nights, you'll be going through a lot of draft beer. Draft beer, draft beer, draft beer, draft beer. And I always thought, was that because some people are drinking draft beer and other people are mimicking the actions of other people when they see a pitcher of beer on a table and they go, and say, oh, we'll have a pitcher of beer, we'll have this. Or they see an orange on the glass. Uh, that's typical to one of these Belgian blonde beers, which Blue Moon is the biggest one and the one we serve on draft. So when someone sees an orange on a, uh, if they're a beer drinker and they they're somewhat knowledgeable, they'll say, oh, I have a blue moon. And they'll just go, blue moon, blue moon, blue moon. Or an IPA and say, what's that you're drinking? They think of IPA, you know, monkey see, monkey do thing. They see a pina colada. Another table says, oh, I have a pina colada. Or they see a sangria. They see a uh, you know red wine, white wine, kind of big goblet with fruit in it. Oh, I have one of those. Oh, I have one of those. Or it's just, is it just the changing nature of, of the people that come in, meaning the people that come in are drinking martinis or drinking dirty martinis or regular martinis. Now, when you're looking at a martini, a regular martini, you can't tell if it's a vodka or gin or dirty, or you could tell if it's, a, you know, a gimlet because I'll have par- pearl onions and we don't, we don't have pearl onions because no one ever asked for, um, not a gimlet, a Gibson. See, it happens even to regular bartenders. So, the busy night, I made it back on a Saturday night. It was a busy night, a good night. I'm, I maybe used the blender three times. Originally, a lot of bartenders get really, if you're not working in a place where you get a lot of frozen drinks, it's an annoyance to use the blender. But once you use the blender, let's say, I'm going to pick a high number. Let's say I've used the blender 2,000 times or 3,000 times at the place I work. Probably more like, probably closer to uh, 10,000 times. Making a frozen drink is not that unusual. And on a busy night, you see a frozen drink, you go, uh, but I know now when I'm making one of those that I'm going to, Make it up, put lots of ice in it, make it like heavier on ice because I'll just make it'll just keep it uh, more frozen because I'm going to be making a let's say I'm making 12 other drinks, so I just want that to blend for a while before I turn it off. So I don't want it to over get too thin because that's good, that's the thing too. But these patterns you see with the drinks, you say, Wow, I hardly poured any wine. 
or I didn't pour any white wine. I poured a lot of red wine and this. And they just show out, show up and we're just always looking for patterns. And you think, was well, it the nature of the people? I seen a lot of regulars here that last night. I'll say to myself, but, you know, it seemed like the same kind of drinks I made on another night, but it was a lot less frozen. And as it turns out, when there aren't a lot of uh, tourists, I won't get a lot of frozen drinks. Because locals don't drink, locals that come to the bar, by and large, I'm saying don't drink frozen drinks. And you go on a vacation, you may think, well, this is festive. I'm going to have a festive drink. I'll have a frozen drink. Makes a lot of sense to me. It makes sense. So, but the, those patterns from night to night when there's like a regular crowd and a regular crowd, and you say, why? Um, those regulars generally drink the same thing. I know people come in and they'll have two drinks that they drink. Right? I know uh, one woman is a regular. She drinks a Cosmopolitan. Or vodka cranberry. And then if she wants a shot, she likes a fireball. Now, another gentleman happens to be her husband. He'll drink a dirty martini on the rocks. Or he likes a yingling. And the, or, you know, drink some, maybe an IPA or Guinness. And that's it. He won't be drinking a wine. Now, I'm sure he drinks wines other places. I've been to other places where I've seen, seen him ha- actually having a wine. But at our place, that's what he drinks. So generally, when we have the regulars come in, I can go and say, well, this isn't normally what they drink. And there's other people that are, you know, friends of theirs where the, um, the husband drinks Draft Miller Lite and she drinks Michelob Ultra. That's all they're drinking. They may do a shot of Fireball or every so often a dessert martini. So you can see when I see a a crowd and I can just think, I'll visualize a person. There's one regular show that has vodka club soda. Another guy comes in. He's an old stalwart. He comes in and gets a vodka club. He likes a little ice. If he doesn't have a vodka club, he has a yingling. That's it. Another guy is always vodka and Sprite. Two limes. He likes a little cocktail napkin so he can squeeze his limes and throw it in there, but he doesn't want a straw. But every so often, that guy wants a white white Russian. That'll be it. And, you know, some people, they stick to the same drink or same two drinks or same three drinks. And rarely do you get a person that comes in and they'll just go off the chart. Today I'll have, you know, I'll have a bourbon Manhattan. Tomorrow I'll have a margarita. I'll have a Pinot Grigio. I'll have a raspberry martini. Now, when someone's like that, if everyone was like that, and where they randomly had a different drink, that would probably just blow my mind. But... It's that thing that we do. It's that we're always looking for some kind of sense of meaning and cohesion into what we're doing that day. You say, well, obviously, I made the drinks, very typical drinks tonight. That other night I made, uh, I think I made three mojitos. One gentleman came in, he's a regular, he had one mojito 
and I think two visitors had. And mojitos either, you don't make a mojito for like three days or you make 40 mojitos a night. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're making uh, 600 other drinks, yeah, or 700 other drinks, it's a, you know, 40 mojitos is, is significant. But like I said, again, I've done mojitos so often, it's not a big deal anymore. All If I have the ingredients and stuff like that, it's a quick thing. And most, the, the things that really trip people up, and I'll say this as a side note and to finish this up, is um, if there's an oddball drink and you don't know what it is, but the nice thing is having the internet and I'll just make all the drinks and I'll just go and check the ingredients for the last one. Or I'll check the ingredients in the beginning if I never heard of it. Right? And I'll just say, I got to see if I can make it or see if I can substitute something. And if I, if I have to substitute, if someone asks for a dark and stormy, I know I need a really dark rum and there's a certain uh, rum you want to put in. It's, um, I think it's Sailor Jury rum for a dark and stormy and a ginger beer and kind of float the dark rum on top. And it looks like a dark cloud hanging over there. So I'll finish with that. Hey, I just want to do a brief commercial for the podcast before I move on to the next subject, which is titillating. It is, uh, we are selling Keys Bartender gear on the website www.keysbartender.com. That's my website, and it's powered by Shopify. You can find uh, coffee mugs, wine uh, cups, water glasses, hats, T-shirts, tank tops. Check it there. It's secured by Shopify, and all the profits go to the show to support the show and support maybe being able to do a little more than we can with the show. Moving on there. You do realize, if you're an avid listener show, that my wife and daughter went to Poland for approximately seven weeks. And while over there, they, um, my wife told me yesterday, and it was very interesting, but they told me they went to this, it was a spa. And spas are different over in Europe as well as, a lot of you know, but for some of you that are unversed, the spas they have over in Europe and Turkey and all these things are usually bigger because they're more of a whole day thing. And they do do that in America, but generally spas are normally from like, uh, they're expanded here in the United States. Spa day is more of an expanded trip to the hair salon. We get hair, nails, massage. You know, you could you could have you know steam. Uh, you can go to steam sauna, dry sauna, and all that stuff. But when they're talking about spas in Europe, a lot of times they're a big, almost not quite a water park. And a water park here is more of a, like amusement park thing, but it it has pools. Um, steam saunas, dry saunas, um, salt salt baths, and things like that. And that's where she went to. It was beautiful. It looked like a, a very ornate ski lodge. And where the, uh, Abby and Sky were uh, is where we have a condo in Zakopane, Poland. It's in the mountains. It's kind of like the Polish Aspen. And, uh, you know, it's... It's a nice, it's beautiful uh, town, a beautiful resort, 
and they have multiple pools and things like that. So they went and signed up to go to the spa, and it's for you know three hours you pay for entrance, and it generally um, if you're not if you're staying at the hotel, it's included. It's part of a hotel, but otherwise you can pay entry, and I think the entry works out to it starts at around twenty dollars American and goes up to uh, almost thirty, and that's with the option of doing the sauna. And so my wife, her sister, and my daughter Sky, they go to this uh, uh, sauna spa, and when they're buying tickets, they ask, "Do you?" Uh, want to use the sauna and they go yes they did and so they added another charge onto it and it, uh, Abby didn't quite get what the option with the sauna was but she thought it would be you know more options so why not pay for it it's only a couple bucks more and when they were telling the age of the daughter and she says oh she's 16 and they oh no she can't go there now that that should have been uh, like a red flag right if a six-year-old can't go and you go, why? Why would that be? Blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't. So they're all there at the sauna. They're enjoying the pools. There's a regular pool. There's hot pools. There's wave pools. There's, and you go up levels. And on the top level where they have the sauna, there were three levels. I think it looked like to show me a picture. There's three levels. And on the top, they had, you can get a massage and it had salt, uh, a lot of it, you know, that uh, rock salt or, or displays of the salt all over the place in, in the sauna. And But when she went up and checked it out earlier, she's walking up in her in her bathing suit. And someone came over and she quickly noticed that there was naked people there. Mostly naked people, except I guess some of the workers, right? And... Uh, Someone ran over and said, listen, there's a changing room over there. She goes, I don't need to change. He goes, yes, you need to be naked. Now, in a regular steam bath in the United States, they rarely force you to be naked. You can just walk around in a towel. You can wear your bathing suit. And I mean, I'm sure there's Russian baths and stuff like that where they don't. But it's really interesting nuance when you go to a place where it says the it's not clothing optional. It's the option is to be there or to be naked. Because if you're, uh, you know, if you're clothed, you're you're asked to leave. If you're na- naked, you're you're invited to stay. And the thing about Americans, you just used it to the optional part. You know, this a lot of places here are where. Oh, you can be naked if you want, or you can be clothed if you want. I I like the other option, where if you're going there, you just got to be naked. Because I don't feel, I'm not really, I'm not one of those people, and I'll go into more depth about the comfort level of being naked. But if I'm going to a place where it's clothing optional, and I'm wearing clothes, and I'm sitting around, I just feel creepy that I'm there looking. And I know there's reasons to be there sometimes. Sometimes you're told to meet someone there. Sometimes you say, oh, I like the pomegranate martini they make. Or, you know, I'm just going to visit the bartender, say hi. But generally, 90% of the time, 
if you go down the um, Key West and there's a bar called the Garden of Eden and on the third floor of on the first floor is Black Bull, I think, and the third floor is Garden of Eden and there's another bar in between. It's right on the main street there. It's clothing optional. Now, if you go in the beginning of the day, most people will be clothed. And then all of a sudden, people start arriving naked. It's usually older people. The people that... I'll go into different levels of nakedness with you and stuff like that. But generally, when I'm sitting there, I feel like a voyeur if I'm sitting in clothes. And people say, well, why don't you just take your clothes off? Well, first of all, I didn't want to be naked. I was asked to be there. A friend wanted to go up there, check it out, and said... Oh, and now I realize one of the reasons I don't like that. First of all, I don't like necessarily sitting around doing something that I like doing clothes, which is have uh, any refreshment that before when I was drinking and when I wasn't drinking. I guess if I drank a lot, I really wouldn't care. But if I'm in a place where everyone has to be naked, I really don't have as big a problem with it because it's mandatory. And people say, well, you did go to that place. Yeah, but it's mandatory if I wanted to be there and wanted to check it out. And I, do. and I guess I'd be one of those guys that like those little little tiny backpacks because I want to keep my shit with me. Because one of my fears, and it's always been, and you may have heard me mention previously, is if I got naked, that it's not just being exposed. It's that your cell phone, your keys, your wallet, uh, your clothes are gone, and then you'd have to be walking around in a towel or a t-shirt or shorts, whatever's provided to you. Uh, you know, what if if it's a combination lock? What if you forgot the combination? Where are you going to keep the combination, right? Or you can write it on your body, but then everyone would know. And where are you going to write it on your body? You know, there's all sorts of problems with that, right? So, I haven't quite figured out like when. Um, and you might say, hey, Jim, you've been in a gentleman's club and there was plenty of people that were naked there and you weren't. And I say, yeah, but the people on my side of the bar were closed. And they don't expect you to be naked. And it's not an option. You're not supposed to be naked if you're not working there. So it's not, it's not the same thing. So, and I know there's people that, I mean, obviously there's people that are never nudes. I'm going to talk about this. Levels of comfort with negro. There's... The never nudes, the people that are never nude. And they say, yes, they're nude. They're nude when they take a shower. Yes, they're nude when they're alone, only when they know they're alone, unless they live in prison, you know, unless they're in a prison or a state-run facility, which has to be a nightmare. And I talked about this. You know, I didn't have a huge problem or wasn't traumatized by the gym showers and things like that, right? But aren't gym showers in school in high school, kind of a, a forced nudity. And it's almost militant nudity and saying, listen, you're all getting in there naked together. Gym showers. And you say, people, there's, everyone has a different level of comfort with their, their body. And they don't want to be around other people naked. They don't want, some people don't want to see people naked. There's a lot of people that don't want to be seen naked. And there's people that are afraid, you know, ashamed of their body. And there's not, you're not going to be doing any therapy for them by throwing them into a room full of, uh, you know, uh, preteen to teen guys or girls that have no, uh, let's say, compunction or empathy for people that have body image problems. And you're all seeing the movie from uh, the movie Carrie with Sissy Spacek. I mean, Jesus Christ. 
she the girl get, ends up getting a uh, having her period. It's two. Hey, you know what's funny? Two shows in a row. No, I want to talk about that a little later. Maybe you know the show's going to go on a little extra long. Did I talk about that already? I thought it was interesting, but um, yeah. She ended up getting her period. And what did the girls do on a high school and stuff like that? The sissy spacey. They threw tampons and maxi pads at her. And they're just winging like a hundred different tampons. And, and so that's... Okay, so I'm back to the Taliban level. The first level, you're never like to be... You don't want anybody anybody watching you, right? And even if you're in a relationship and stuff like that, you're like a, a Muslim woman or... Uh, uh, Amish or Hasidic, you know, using you know using a, a sheet, you know, you you just don't want to see naked. No, it's like the naked body is is you know evil, not to be seen, and stuff like that. And then you have the early 1900s, where they're not as shy about their body as the full body burqa or a suit, everything covered up. But you know the the swimsuits that start above the elbow right above the elbow, and they end right at the knee. So that was like until like 1930s, which is kind of frilly outfits. That's number two. People say, I don't mind you seeing the shape of my ass, and you see my breast and all, you know, the shape of that, but it's going to be all covered. And then you got the 1940s one piece and stuff like that, and the guys are wearing those baggy swim trunks. Guys in the United States kept the baggy swim trunks from the 1940s on. They're still wearing it today. You got board shorts and all this stuff. Yeah, every so often there are going to be other bathing suits, which we'll talk about. So that's level three. And then there's bikinis and the the bikini, the, the tight bottoms for guys. Not exactly the Speedos, the form-fitting ones. The people are super comfortable. They said like, yeah, I'm not really here. I'm wearing a bikini. It's kind of small and stuff like that. I'm not super freaked out if... You know, if my nipple pops out or I have a, a little hang underneath in my shorts. And then you got two people that go to thongs and speedos. They're just waiting. When you're a thong and a speedo, they're like saying, I got this is the, the least amount of fabric I need to put on my body and not get arrested. And then there's topless. And that only applies to guy, uh, women because guys from... The, uh, you know, level three on. They've been topless all the time. Which is, you know, I think it's a crime. And, yeah, I know you think I'm a guy saying it. But if we did kind of demystify that, you know, the topless thing, then people wouldn't get all, it wouldn't be as provocative if everyone was topless when you go to the beach. You know, if everyone's topless. I mean, all women. But we have so many uh, centuries of ingrained uh, I call it like puritanism where you can't see the nipple that they all get upset so we got the you know but then you got the women that really don't care they'll go to topless they don't care if their tops off and they don't care if other people and then you got the people I'm naked I don't care if you see me naked I'm totally comfortable doing everything I can while I'm naked and you see that obviously in the gym locker room right and I'm not talking about high school gym locker room the regular locker room where they have the private showers, right? We can get, you know, and at some of these gyms, you don't have to be in uh, flagrant, delafon- whatever they want to tell it, 
delicato, flagrant delicato, or whatever it is, the Latin word for nude, totally nude. You can do it in private or you can do it in public. And these guys are just, I'm going to be naked. And it's usually older guys. And, you know, it's just their business is just flopping in front of your face and stuff like that. They'll be talking to you like nothing's happening. And some guys, they don't like it. They don't want to, they don't want to be talking to a guy when he's naked, especially if they're not really acquainted with it is and sometimes even if they are acquainted with it, if they've never seen a guy naked they don't want to see him they don't want to be talking to someone naked the first time unless you're just naked one of those people that are naked all the time and i know people like that and if you know they're naked all the time you think oh well this is what they do and it's no big deal so you got all these things so you got to think about this when you're going out all this naked stuff you know and i wrote down it was yesterday i was thinking about it and um, I, I do like to be nude. I, I do worry about, like, having things in the area. If there's, like, a lot of fans or moving objects and stuff, I'm trying to protect myself. But if everyone is nude, I really don't care. There's a gradual, like, thing, but it's kind of equivalent to someone who... Think about it. When you go to a place and you have to go to a place, but you don't like doing the thing. If you go to a, if you like going to a disco, right? You get dressed going to a disco. You're, you're, you go out, you hang there, but you go to a disco and you never get on the dance floor. And if you don't get on the dance floor, you're just watching other people dance. You are a voyeur. If you go places, um, that is uh, clothing optional, then you, you know, and, and you never take your clothes off and you just go there. You're, and then if you're not going there for the pomegranate martini, you're a voyeur. So that's my, this, that's my thoughts on the nudity thing. Kind of complex. Uh, yesterday I saw a commercial. It was, uh, it was interesting. You know, I'm always surprised with the things they get away with commercials before. And I said last week that some of our commercials kind of prudish, you know. Or was it last month when they were talking about Peroni's disease? Yeah, it was Peroni's disease about the bent penis thing. Well, I'm saying, oh, you know, it's funny. They just show the carrots. It's always a penis. But, you know, whenever it has to be a vagina or something like that, they'll show an outline of vagina. And, um, oh, I'm sorry for flipping. I'm playing with the pens and stuff. Uh, you know, they'll show that or the boob, the breast or, you know, show it. But they, they never really, uh, maybe they're starting to do it now, but I haven't seen it. They never show the outline of the penis. So to add that thing to you, they're just getting free with it. And they're getting free with not exactly saying the thing, but using the lingo. Um, get me trying. Okay, this is a commercial. I think it was for state-free maxi pads, right? And it's just a picture of a woman in her mid, early to mid twenties. She's dressed smartly, business casual, let's say. She comes in a picture and she goes, "On your period? Are you feeling? Are you? Uh, are you gushing?" I mean, they're talking about their period. Gush, sudden gush. You're worried about sudden gush? They're talking about period. It's literally talking about a period. And I go, well, okay. Well, it's pretty 
straightforward, but they still don't really talk about it. Like Pepto-Bismol used to do commercials, and they still do it. This song where they sing all the things that can go wrong that you're supposed to, um, and they end up with diarrhea. Upset stomach, blah, 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 you know, something diarrhea right at the end, right? But they never really get the one, like that commercial with the Stay Free, they're saying, use our pads when you're on your period. In case you get a sudden gush, it'll stop it. And why not commercials for like the uh, adult diaper or Pepto-Bismol or Imodium? And you got a guy in a business suit standing at a TSA line, you know, at an airport. And he's holding his thumb and goes... Got diarrhea, worry about, you know, and it's using lingo and stuff like that. Uh, Worried about dropping a mud cake in your shorts or foaming in the pants. Boy, boy, all those things. I mean, that's shock selling. That's like saying, listen, this is the best thing. This is the best protection against if you have this diaper. No, if you're in the diaper at the TSA, they're going to catch it at that uh, one where they do the full body image. So that's got to be like, hey, what do you got underneath here? What's going on? And it seems a little darker in the back. Oh, well, I have, uh, oh, well, here, take some Pepto-Bismol and there's the bathroom. You know? That would probably be probably the best commercial for that. Say, don't let this happen to you. You know, I wanted to talk about so much uh, more today because uh, when I was previously talking about the spa, my wife was showing me pictures and she was referring to this building. And it was a, it was, uh, it looked like a palace and she was calling it a castle. And I said, I, I didn't do research on this, but I'm pretty sure a castle has fortifications around it where you can repel attackers. Now, yes, you could do that at a palace, but a palace is more like a house with exposed windows and stuff like that. It's beautiful. It's just huge. There's big grounds and stuff like that. And palace is kind of ornate out front, you know, usually maybe a balcony so you can cheer to your throngs of your, your uh, subjects. But a castle is like, ugh. And I said the psychology, I was thinking about the psychology of it. Think about it. A castle is like your residence protected and the peasants are on the outside. They always say in history class, I remember this. Oh, in case of war, they let their subjects in the castle. I don't think that's necessarily true. There are fortified towns. There were fortified towns, but most castles were um, would hold the people that were um, living in, you know, the aristocracy. And then they had their retainers, their direct retainers, their, their military and their servants. Because generally they wouldn't put too much more if they were attacked because they'd have to, if they were under siege, they'd have to feed them for a, um, you know, an indetermined amount of time. So you wouldn't want to have a lot of people in it. So usually it's your shit out of luck if you're on the other side of the wall. The people that had houses on the outside of the wall and, that, and outside of the, the castle walls, they were 
subject to this, you know, the mil, you know, whatever army was coming and seizing the town, and then everyone's locked up inside. And say, well, f you. I think it was one of the things they said when they were building the castle, and the subjects were helping build the castle and say, well, what's what's this for? You know, what's to protect in case of uh, a war and we get invaded and we can't repel them? And they go, well, what'll happen? Well, we're going to, of course, we're going to invite you all in. We're not going to leave you on the outside. Who would do something like that? Well, I'll tell you, we'll do something like that. People that build castles did something like that. They regularly did that thing, unless it was a fortified town. And the whole town lived behind the wall. Now, that was someone that cared about the people and say, listen, we're going to keep the people there. We're going to get as much of our food inside it, and we'll try to withstand this, and hopefully our allies will come along and rescue us from this army, or the army will get tired of the seas. A siege. So that's the difference between a, ca- a castle, generally, the traditional castle, let's say, was for selfish assholes. Now, a palace is for selfish assholes, too. But they figure if people are invading and they're around the castle and stuff like that, you're not you're around the palace. You're not hiding in the palace. That's where they go first. You know, when there's a manual, they go to the palace first. Now, the castle, they avoid the castle and they take, um, when they seize that, they take everything around it. And they do all that raping and pillaging and stuff like that. So whenever you see a castle and you see a beautiful palace, you can just see, well, they're both selfish assholes, right? And they really kind of abused, usually because all that fine stuff they got and all the food and all that stuff was, um, I'm not saying seized, but it's taken from them and they're living high off the hog and stuff like that. And in the case of a war, the palace thing is kind of like in the same a boat as the people around it, right? You're in the same boat. They just, they, you know, you're you actually they're going to have to leave the palace, but the the castle is the first place you go. So there's your difference. You learn, you know, it's just like the NBC thing. You know, the more you know. Okay, well, this is Jim, the Keys Bartender. Remember, if you like to buy, support our show, if you like to support our show, go to keysbartender.com, uh, and. Uh, Go under gear. It's powered by Shopify. You can buy a bunch of goods and be uh, supporting our show. Thank you very much and have a great day. Bye.